Thanks, George and Theo. As um, we look at this text, it's kind of an odd text, isn't it? And um, it's, it's about something that isn't very uh, present for us these days, which is um, meat sacrificed to idols. Um, but let's engage in this and see what there is for us. Would you begin by praying with me? Oh God, thank you for your word and for speaking us to us through these words so that we may hear what you are saying to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I loved uh, Reverend Dr. Sylvester Beeman's prayer that uh, concluded this week's inauguration. It's centered around a plea that God would empower us to discover our common humanity as a country. And he drew from multiple references in the Bible to paint a picture of what that might look like. I'll remind you of these words. He says, we need you God for in you, we discover our common humanity. In our common humanity, we will seek out the wounded and bind their wounds. We will seek healing for those who are sick and diseased. We will mourn our dead. We will befriend the lonely, the least and the left out. We will share our abundance with those who are hungry. We will do justly to the oppressed, acknowledge sin and seek forgiveness, thus grasping reconciliation. In discovering our humanity, we will seek the good in and for all our neighbors. We will love the unlovable, remove the stigma of the so-called untouchables. We will care for our most vulnerable, our children, the elderly, emotionally challenged and the poor. We will seek rehabilitation beyond correction. We will extend opportunity to those locked out of opportunity. We will make friends of our enemies. As our nation this week enters a new chapter in our history, this is a long but basic and desperately needed plea to live conscious of our common humanity. But in order to do that, we must learn to see each other. We must live what Jesus commanded in the second half of the great commandment when he said to love your neighbor as yourself. It's all that simple and all that hard. Now in this text in 1 Corinthians 8, this issue of food sacrifice to idols describes a conundrum in the Corinthian community that's hard for us to relate to. I don't know that too many of us have thought about whether or not we should eat food sacrificed to idols recently, but this was a practice in the Greek temples where meat was offered to the gods and then eaten in community feasts. And it was triggering for some people in the Corinthian church. They still had an emotional connection to the ritualistic practices that drew them away from their faith in Jesus. But for others in the church, it, it wasn't really an issue. And we can only infer that they were feeling a bit superior because it wasn't really an issue for them and it didn't bother them. And instead of trying to convince the ones that who were struggling with it, that they were being superstitious or wrong or needed to mature. Paul talks to the ones who knew that they were right and more enlightened. And he begins by reminding them that 
real understanding isn't about having your facts straight. Real understanding isn't about having your facts straight, but it's really about love. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by God. So he begins, Paul begins by establishing this foundational truth that we are more familiar with in the verses we often read at weddings and, and hear more often in 1 Corinthians 13, that without love, we are nothing. So Paul, as he's talking to those who, who see themselves as more enlightened, says, I just want to remind you that it's, it's love that establishes our faith. It's love that, that gives us our credentials. It's not what we know. And then he moves to establishing the facts. He says, there is no God but one. And he says, as Christians, we believe that the God revealed in Jesus is the only God. The Greek gods have no real power. So we can all agree on that, he says. But consequently, and so, and so consequently, the food sacrificed to idols has no actual power. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do, he says in verse eight. So these are the facts, according to Paul. The God revealed in Jesus Christ is the only God. And this, this meat sacrificed to idols really doesn't have any power at all. But it turns out that as we find out so often in our lives, facts are not the only consideration. In the last few years, many of us have realized that facts just aren't sufficient for building community and building a society that works for everyone. We're now all too familiar with that phrase, alternative facts, where different and differing groups live in different definitions of what's true. As we've confronted the pandemic and the debate on masks and vaccines, we often hear people boastfully saying, and maybe rightfully saying, that they are following the science. And it's a debilitating conundrum that we find in our, ourselves in in this country to not be able to come together around facts. So what do we do? What do we do with that? Well, in the Corinthian situation, Paul says to those who have their facts straight, the people he agrees with, that the facts aren't enough to take us where we want to go. The facts aren't enough to take us where we want to go. He says to these enlightened, educated people, take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Take care that the liberty of yours that you get from knowing how things actually are does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. A show that I've enormously enjoyed in the recent months is Apple TV's Ted Lasso with Jason Sudeikis playing Ted Lasso, an American football coach who was hired to coach ASC Richmond, a losing soccer team in England. He is brought on by the owner of the team who is hoping that he will succeed in destroying the soccer club to get back at her ex-husband who really lived and died for that Richmond club. 
Ted Lasso arrives on the scene in England. He is folksy and he appears to be incredibly naive in the tough, chin-up, competitive culture of English soccer. He even hates tea. When he's asked by his new boss, how do you take your tea? Ted says, well, normally right back to the counter because there's been a terrible mistake. He doesn't learn to drink tea and he's not sure what, why they're calling cookies biscuits, but as the story plays out, we see how brilliant Ted is, even though he knows nothing about soccer. And he actually says, I literally have a better understanding of who killed Kennedy than what is an offside. Ted Lasso, however, does know how to read people. He knows when they need tenderness. He knows when they need to be left alone. He knows when they need to be chewed out. He knows when they need a pep talk. He's a brilliant leader, and that is the brilliance of this show, because as his players and those around him, and even his boss and those who are working with him, as they feel his love and care for them, his tender seeing of them, they begin to care for each other. Their team goes from being a group of individuals out for their own glory to truly being a collaborative group of people who work together and root for each other and pull for each other. And in that they get further than they could have gone alone. Ted's brilliance as a coach and as a human being is his relational agility, his capacity to see others and respond his desire to always bring out the best in another person. And I think in some way, this is a bit of what Paul is asking the Corinthians to do. He's saying that being right means nothing if we can't see each other. The adult ed class uh, that meets right before the service at 9.15 has been walking through a powerful six episode podcast called Learning to See, which features a conversation between public theologians, Brian McLaren, Father Richard Rohr and Pastor Jackie Lewis. It's about our biases and how our perspectives are about so much more than facts. I would really recommend all of you listen to this conversation if you can and to this podcast. But in episode four, Jackie Lewis quotes Rabbi David Hartman when he says that our highest ethical calling is to learn how to see. It is our highest ethical calling to learn how to see, which includes learning to see where our enemy needs love. Learning to see where our enemy needs love. The story of Ted Lasso shows the brilliance of this approach, looking for where others are hurting and tending to that before attempting to get us all straight on the facts. Civil rights legend Ruby Sales says that the question she has learned to ask in the face of systemic racism and the ugliness of white supremacy is, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? Ask this question when you're on social media and when you watch the news. Ask this question when you're tempted to gloat and when you find your hackles going up in defense. Where does it hurt? This is the question that guides Ted Lasso in his leadership, his coaching, and his relational brilliance. Now, we don't have to let go of facts or science or right action. But Paul does invite us to let go of 
self-satisfaction, of gloating, of pride with how we hold our beliefs, how we hold the facts. If we don't learn to ask where it hurts, we'll stay stuck in these echo chambers and in our separate corners. It's rare that someone changes because they lose an argument. What changes us is being loved and knowing each other's stories, using our power, whether it's the power of being right or the power of position or privilege or the power of being a little further along the journey than another person, using those powers to see. It's so simple, but it's so hard. We want credit for being right and we want to win. But as Ted Lasso says, hey, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a new horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. And as Reverend Beeman concluded his prayer on Wednesday, when he said, let us all acknowledge from the indigenous Native American to those who recently received their citizenship, from the African-American to those whose foreparents came from Europe and every corner of the globe, from the wealthy to those struggling to make it, from every human being, regardless of their choices, that this is our country. As such, teach us, O oh God, to live in it, to love in it, be healed in it, and reconcile to one another in it, lest we miss kingdom's goal. May we truly learn to see each other, to ask, where does it hurt? And to build a different way of being together. Amen.